Welcome to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast, where natural healthcare practitioners can hear innovative, cutting-edge information from leading experts from around the world. Welcome to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast. I'm Nathan Rose, naturopath and technical education manager for Metagenics. In this podcast, we hear from Associate Professor Rima Obid and explore some of the recent controversies surrounding folic acid. Rima is currently at the Aalhaus Institute of Advanced Studies at the Aalhaus University in Denmark and has been studying folate and vitamin B12 metabolism for the past 15 years. There is currently intense scrutiny in the natural medicine industry on the potential adverse effects of folic acid supplementation. In this podcast, we're going to ask an expert if these claims are justified. Is it safe to supplement with folic acid? Are there any dangers with patients having unmetabolized folic acid in their blood? What about the claims that folic acid supplementation is linked to cancer? What is the clinical significance of a patient possessing the MTHFR single nucleotide polymorphism? Can these people effectively metabolize folic acid? And is 5-MTHF a superior form of supplementation? In this episode, Professor Rima Obid will answer these questions and more based on a deep understanding of folate metabolism. Professor Obid will touch briefly upon vitamin B12, its different forms and testing options for B12 status. We'll also briefly explore choline and its role in health, as well as touch upon the role of homocysteine and S-adenosyl homocysteine and how that plays a role in health and disease. Let's hear from Rima. Thanks, Rima, for uh, being so kind enough to donate your time. I wanted to talk to you today about uh, several issues in and around folate. You've been researching folate for probably the best part of 15 years, I'd say, and you've published numerous research papers on many of the um, issues that are probably facing industry in terms of folic acid supplementation, unmetabolized folic acids and so forth. So perhaps um, as a sort of a, a visualization, I wanted to sort of maybe do a revolution of the folate cycle and stop at a few different sort of uh, metabolites and enzymes and discuss certain issues in and around there. Uh, so starting up, say, from if we visualise a, a clock and 12 o'clock is where um, tetrahydrofolate starts and above that um, our synthetic folates come in and convert to tetrahydrofolate. If we go counterclockwise and return back to there, we'll hopefully cover off all the, the main issues in folate metabolism. So first of all, um, synthetic folates, which are in fortified food and, and most of our supplements at the moment are... Uh, there is a bit of a shift now. Australia does allow the use of uh, 5-MTHF in their supplements, but by and large, it's mostly folic acid. Now, there is a bit of um, concern about folic acid not being metabolised terribly quickly, I suppose, to create the tetrahydrofolate. Uh, and you've explored this in a fair bit of detail. Would you be able to just sort of give us a bit of a background on the issues and, and what you've found? Well, we know that uh, folic acid, the synthetic uh, form of the vitamin is metabolized through vi- uh, an enzyme that you have in your body, which is uh, tetrahydrofolate reductase. And um, we know that the amount of unmetabolized folic acid in blood is related to taking supplements or uh, not being fasting in, uh, for a long time, for more than eight hours. 
It's related to sex, to renal function, to body mass index, to alcohol consumption. There are many factors affecting this amount of unmetabolized folic acid in blood. And we know that if you take uh, vitamin B6, B2 and B12, uh, the flow of um, uh, synthetic folic acid uh, uh, within this cycle uh, will be improved. So we will have less unmetabolized folic acid. It's great. So um, I think typically if you take a, a folic acid supplement, a, perhaps a, roughly about 3% of all your total folates in your body would be unmetabolized folic acid. And, and then you've just pu- recently published a trial showing the addition of a small amount of B12 and B6 uh, reduced that figure. Is that correct? Yes. But this 3% is, is, uh, um, is really um, um, not... A- precise message because it depends on the time when you collect the blood after the dose of folic acid or after the final the last time you take folic acid so if you just wait three or four hours longer you will find less okay so it's a real transient um yes. phenomenon great um even so they're still concerned that these unmetabolized folic acids uh, are problematic and people are calling for complete avoidance of synthetic folates. Uh, some of the, the uh, citations are that folic acid, the synthetic form, the unmetabolized form, sorry, blocks things like folate receptors and folate-carrying proteins and so forth. Um, you've had a bit of a, a certainly a, a ex- exploration of the literature. Have you found any sort of evidence of harm with unmetabolized folic acids? I think that uh, there is no evidence that there is a causal relationship between unmetabolized folic acid and any disease. And these kind of studies showing that folic acid will block certain enzymes um, have used very high doses, which are not relevant to what we are discussing about. So all is the matter of a dose and a time, how long it takes until the enzyme is ready to get uh, or to receive uh, more uh, folic acid. The association with disease, uh, uh, there, there have been some studies showing unmetabolized folic acid associated with immune function or whatever, but you can, you can argue the same for 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate because if you have more unmetabolized folic acid, you will have automatically more 5-methyl. So there is no evidence that this subfraction of total folate is causally related to diseases. Okay, great. Thanks for clearing that up. Uh, so as I said, yeah, practitioners can now prescribe the 5-MTHF, which we'll, we'll come to shortly, but uh, we still can uh, receive it through um, fortified grains and so forth. So um, what's your view then, there should be no sort of um, concern about this uh, exposure to folic acid in our diet? I think there is no concern if you examine the scientific evidence um, about unmetabolized folic acid. And there is no evidence that 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate is better than folic acid. Um, the issue is that 5-methyl is uh, less stable and is difficult to use for fortification and uh, there is and, and that will be reflected in terms of costs. Uh, so folic acid is cheaper, is stable, is easy to use. And for this 
if you don't have an evidence that 5-methyl is better, then why to shift? Sure. Okay. You know, well, all, all prevention trials and all fortification programs have used folic acid until now, and we know that they are safe. So um, it won't be ethical to to try to use 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate if you know that the, the folic acid is uh, is the one that we used until now. Yeah, great. Okay, um, I'll come back to that. Uh, that's at our six o'clock on our clock of a uh, folate cycle. We'll just, um, yeah, hold that thought and we'll come to the, the next part. So uh, from folate, tetrahydrofolate, it then receives some methyl groups from serine and then it becomes the 510-methyl tetrahydrofolate. And now at this point it can go off in two, one of two directions, I suppose. One is to go through the MTHFR uh, gene, which we'll talk about, uh, enzyme which we'll talk about shortly but the other other i suppose fate of 510 mthf is to donate its methyl groups for dna synthesis so this sort of i suppose is a bit of a, a loose way of framing up the the concern about folic acid causing or contributing to to cancers there's sort of mixed results in literature about uh folic acid there's some saying it's um protective others saying it's you know you know linked to cancer would you better sort of um Give us an overview of the, the your thoughts there, please. About the association with cancer? Yes, yes, with folic acid. The association with cancer, as you said, the evidence is very mixed. And we have studies looking at the intake. Uh, we have studies looking at um, supplementation, so the uh, synthetic form, the folic acid, and we have studies measuring blood levels. And in all kinds of studies, we have mixed evidence. Um, the issue is that uh, you have, in such kind of studies, a healthy user bias. Um, so the people who are taking supplements are more likely to participate in such kind of studies. Um, then there is a difference uh, where you get your folate from. Is it from meat? Is it from uh, vegetables and fruits? So you cannot uh, really isolate uh, folate or folic acid from a complete health behavior. And that's um, a major contributor of these mixed um, uh, results. Also, when you measure blood folate, um, there is a difference if you measure serum folate. Serum folate is very short-term marker, so after one week it might look different, or if you are fasting or non-fasting. And serum folate is not a long-term marker. So it's really impossible to believe in a study showing that serum folate now is a predictor for cancer in 10 years. Um, and in my opinion, there is no uh, evidence also that folic acid or folate intake to uh, the total intake is causally related to cancer sure great that's uh i suppose uh you know relieving to know based i know obviously animal models and so forth can't tell us everything but um, you know, animal studies and maybe it's red, does red blood cell folate give a better indication of sort of long-term stable folic 
acid um, levels. What's the sort of view from, you know, overall from animal data and, and so forth on perhaps like, you know, the safe doses or levels of folic acid for humans? In humans? Uh, oh, I, I don't uh, I don't understand your question. We sorry, have, sorry, we, I've we, we, probably we took have, two questions. We have here. some some animals uh, studies showing uh, if you use high, very high dose of folic acid, you can promote uh, pre-existing cancers. Uh, do you um, need that kind of yeah, study? So what would that what would that translate to? Sort of human levels or nothing? Intakes? There is no translation to human because you are using. You are using yes. completely different doses. Um, uh, you have genetic differences. Uh, you, you can't uh, conclude that in humans the, the same will be the case. And we know that uh, cancer uh, mortality and cancer uh, incidence uh, on long term were not changed or even decline in the US and Canada after the fortification. Yeah, I've seen that data showing there's been a, a pretty consistent decline in cancer rates um, that's, you know, parallels the, uh, or sorry, inversely proportional to the, the time when food was fortified. So there's increase in folate intake via the diet and there's actually been a decrease in cancer incidence in those uh, countries with uh, folate fortification. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Great. So a lot of the evidence is probably pointing more to protection of cancers rather than causation, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think uh, I think the evidence is for protection is stronger than the evidence for causal uh, relationship. Yeah, great. Okay, um, so yeah, moving along, this is probably the the most contentious area. So the, as I said, the the five ten methyl tetrahydrofolate can go through the DNA synthesis, or it can then go through the MTHFR enzyme to create the active form of folic acid. So there's been, you know, intense interest in this um, MTHFR, particularly the 67TT genotype, and I think you published on this many, many years before, before it even became popular back in 2003. Yes. Uh, but, you know, the last sort of five years or so, there's been intense interest maybe with um, testing available to practitioners and so forth. And I just wanted to sort of explore this because this, um, depending on who you listen to, it can be insignificant or it could be a, a real problematic, you know, marker or risk factor for disease. So could you perhaps explain, the, um, I suppose, the association studies with uh, the MTHFR67TT and things like uh, depression and cardiovascular disease and so forth? Is there a link there? Well, we know that if you have uh, uh, MTHFR six six seven seven, um, then you probably uh, your requirements for folate is slightly higher than the wild type. Um, if you look at metabolism, so you need more folate to reach the same metabolic level, um, and we know that the TT genotype is associated with um, higher a risk for neurotube defects, for example, in pregnant women. And that was the point why uh, the recommendations on the population level should take uh, this into account. Uh, the more liable people uh, for consequences of deficiency. And this has been done by the EFSA, the European Authority for Food Safety, 
um, where they consider that the TT genotype uh, has higher requirement and they accounted for this in the, in the recommendation. So the, uh, the minimum level they suggest is um, to even allow for the, the TT type to get sufficient amounts of folate? Yes, if you get a sufficient amount of folate, then there is no problem. And usually we don't test for a mutation uh, unless we have enough reason. So we don't screen the population for this. This is not a mutation. This is, by the way, um, a polymorphism with a prevalence of about 50 to 20%. Yes, and um, we usually we think that uh, if you have a sufficient intake, which is about 400 microgram per day, then it's okay if you are a carrier of this mutation or not. Okay, so that's uh, I suppose one of the that's great. One of the I think confusion lies with the use of the five MTHF supplement that it obviously bypasses that enzyme. However, I've always sort of wondered it. You know, this is a cycle and it goes through numerous revolutions. Once it's, you know, donated its methyl group once to methionine synthase and it's back to where, you know, the folic, synthetic folic acid is in it and it's just as susceptible to, to struggle, for want of a better term, to get through the, the enzyme. Um, would that be correct? And do you know how many, I've never seen in literature, but once you take like the 5-MTHF supplement, how many times that actually goes through the cycle? <clears throat> We have some studies comparing 5-methyltetrodofolate and folic acid in terms of uh, final outcome, homocysteine lowering or serum or red blood cells folate. And um, in my opinion, the evidence is not strong that 5-methyl um, has a, a superiority here. Um, the issue is... Uh, how much you supplement and for, for how long time. But this argument that 5-methyltetrodofolate is going to bypass the MTHFR, in my opinion, is not strong enough. Sure. That's uh, interesting so they, to know. They are likely to be very similar. Yes. And um, so you, I think you've reviewed this in... And it published a paper on it looking in pregnancy, and I think you're a little bit more sort of complementary to uh, 5MTHF, saying uh, suggesting it may be a little bit better, but uh, head to head, as you said, they they seem to be pretty comparable at yes. lowering homocysteine, um, increasing red blood cell folate levels, uh, even in the the, the TT genotype phenotype. Yes. Sorry, yes. Um, you can so probably you did... argue that if you combine them. But we don't know. We don't have evidence for them, for this. Uh, but but the, there is a point in combining them. If you combine them, then you will be feeding this cycle from two independent points. And this could make a difference, but we don't have the evidence for it. Sure. Uh, another interesting thing I have um, seen is the work by, I think, Helene McNulty in Ireland, um, who has a co-administered a little bit of um, vitamin B2 alongside folic acid for uh, people with the 6,7-TT phenotype. Uh, have you seen her work and um, aware of the results there in terms of um, effects on blood pressure and so forth? Um, the group from England, you mean? Uh, yeah, she might be from England. Yes. Um, I think it's uh, Riley I and... 
I have seen this uh, work, but I don't remember in details what. Oh, okay. Um, is, um, the, yeah, basically they um, provided the folic acid with, I think, 1.6 milligrams of um, vitamin B2 because yeah. vitamin B2 is the cofactor, uh, um, I believe, for MTHFR. And the addition of that extra B2 helped, uh, for want of a better term, stabilise the MTHFR and the TT genotypes, they um, restored their uh, folic acid levels and improved their homocysteine and they had a um, they had sort of resistant hypertension but the small addition of the vitamin B2 uh, was linked to improvements in uh, lowering blood pressure, which is quite encouraging. What, uh, what was the active comparator of the study? Is it? Uh... I think it was folic acid versus folic acid plus some vitamin B, B2. Okay. Um, we can provide the link in the... Uh, in the, on the web page. So, yeah, I suppose my point is similar to your uh, study looking at unmetabolized folic acids, do you see the value in having, you know, multi, you know, the combination of B vitamins rather than just aiming for that sort of, you know, uh, folic acid, whether it's folic acid or um, 5-MTHF? Yes, I think that the combination makes sense in many ways, not uh, necessarily for unmetabolized folic acid, but the issue is that you have on a population level, a prevalent vitamin B12 deficiency in elderly, for example, or in vegetarians, you have vitamin B6 deficiency and you won't test every marker if you decide to supplement or not to supplement. So it is generally recommended to give a small amount of the other B vitamins together with folate or folic acid. Great. So, yeah, just to summarize, in your view there, 5-MTHFR uh, polymorphism is probably clinically insignificant. Would you ever recommend any sort of, um, you know, population to get it tested, whether it's, you know, cardiovascular or risk for dementia or infertility or anything like that? Well, usually in practice in in the lab, I'm, I'm working in the Department of Clinical Chemistry. We test for the polymorphism if we have unexplained hyperhomocysteinemia, if we have, uh, for example, thrombosis, uh, if we have uh, recurrent abortion. So th- there should be a reason for testing for it. We just we don't screen for a mutation. Yeah. Uh, so... With the knowledge of, you know, if the patient or the, the population were aware of their, um, you know, they had the TT phenotype, what's the action involved? Is it just ensuring they have adequate folic acid intake? Not only folic acid. You have to combine folic acid, B12, B6, B2, especially for those who are carriers of the polymorphism. Sure. I'm just trying to yeah, work out whether what but, sort of but, value but, but it. But only adds. if you have enough reason to do that. Do you see the yes. point? If if you have hyperhomocysteinemia, if you have a thrombosis, if you have recurrent abortion, and you find the polymorphism, and then you have to supplement with a combination. The question. So perhaps they've got the wild type of the um the gene, yeah. yet they've still got high homocysteine. They'd still these people still would need the same therapy, yes. though, wouldn't they? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. I'm just trying to determine the, the value of the test. If if the treatments the same regardless, um, yes. it's, yeah, it makes me wonder whether it's necessary. But sometimes we find patients need to know that they've got some sort of, I wouldn't say defect, but they've got an increased need that might get you know greater compliance, perhaps with their um, you know taking the supplements and so forth. Yeah. 
Okay, so moving along to the next part when um, 5MTHF donates its methyl group to remethylate homocysteine, that, that's mediated by the methionine synthase enzyme, which, as you mentioned, requires B12 for its activity. So you've done a bit of work there as well, looking at um, types of uh, B12 in terms of supplementation and also uh, this concept that one of the concerns about uh, high doses of folic acid is it can mask a B12 deficiency if we're not screening for it because the um, I suppose it's hiding the uh, neuropathy that may occur in the combination of a folate and B12 deficiency. Would you better describe that masking effect? If you give, if you give folic acid to somebody who has vitamin B12 deficiency uh, anemia, then you are going to correct the anemia. Um, And this was an argument against folic acid because uh, you won't be able to detect B12 in this case if you correct the anemia. Um, But we know now that the, the blood count or having or not having an anemia is not Um, a test for vitamin B12 deficiency. We have specific vitamin B12 markers that we use. Um, So I I think that uh, this argument um, cannot stand uh, the the, the typical um, issues about diagnosing vitamin B12 deficiency and also the doses you need to mask anemia are pretty high. So when you talk about fortification or supplementation with, uh, uh, with levels below one milligram per day, it is pretty unlikely that you harm the patients through folic acid supplementation, even if they have vitamin B12 deficiency. But we, for sure, we recommend uh, screening for B12 deficiency if you have enough reason to do that. Great. Um, and you've also explored this in the literature, looking at what types of tests, whether it's B12 or holotranscobalamin or methylmalonic acid. Would you better explain uh, those tests and what they mean and, and which ones you would uh, prefer or recommend? For B12 deficiency, we recommend screening if you suspect a deficiency with holotranscobalamin, which is the active form of B12 in the blood. And currently, uh, there is some kind of discussion about which is the best marker or the best strategy. Uh, So there are two views. Either you measure all markers from the beginning, like HOLO-TC, homocysteine, methylmalonic acid, and total B12, and combine these markers in a kind of formula or you uh, practice a stepwise diagnostic, meaning that you measure first HOLO-TC and then you decide if it's in a gray area or in a low area, you decide if you measure uh, methylmalonic acid or not. Methylmalonic acid is the, the final functional marker or the intracellular marker that shows you if there is a deficiency or not um, considering that you know that also there are some artificial increase in MMA in some cases that you have to take to take it into account uh, in the interpretation. 
Great. And uh, so one other, I suppose, argument about the you know synthetic folic acid versus the 5-MTHF is that 5-MTHF wouldn't do the masking. Is that true? And if so, how does that occur? We don't have evidence on this. It might be true or not. Okay. But, but, but if, you, if you look at the cycle, uh, if you give 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate, then you will have the same methyl trap if you don't have vitamin B12 in a sufficient amount. So I, I don't think that uh, this, this can be proven to be correct, that you can overcome the masking if you give 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Okay. Great. And similarly, you've looked at the different sort of combinations uh, or forms of vitamin B12, um, cyanocobalamin versus mecocobalamin and so forth. Would you better um, explain the couple popular types and um, head-to-head, I suppose, the, how they compare? We, we have reviewed this topic uh, because we think that uh, we don't have enough evidence also in this area. So it was not like showing uh, that there is no difference or there is a difference. It was like a review of what we have uh, in the literature, what kind of evidence we have. Um, so for B12, you have traditionally uh, three forms, the methyl, the cyano, and the the. Um, hydroxy. The hydroxy, yes. And, and there is a clear geographical distribution of using these forms. So the, the hydroxy is more used in the US, um, cyano is used in Europe, and methyl is used in Asia. And it's more or less some, there are some commercial interests in promoting one form compared to the other. Um, for hydroxy, we know from old studies that the effect of hydroxy is a little bit longer, so it's considered as a kind of uh, uh, long-acting, uh, probably because it is um, excreted from the body through the kidney. Uh, its excretion is slower than the cyano. But um, theoretically, um, well, as I said, we don't have an evidence, and the article was just to stimulate the research on this area. In theory, if you give cyano or hydroxy or methyl, this hydroxy methyl cyano will be removed before a new methyl or adenosine is added to the molecule. So whatever form you give, in theory, they will be converted anyway in the cell. And we don't have evidence that if you provide methyl, this methyl will reach its final destination in the cell in this methyl form that you supplement. And, and that's why um, this is a gray area. We don't have enough evidence that one form uh, is better than the other form. We have evidence that hydroxy, uh, cobalamin, has a longer-lasting form. But the question remains, um, the dose you supplement, so if you give anyway one milligram, it's very high, and the differences uh, in, the, in the final outcome are likely to be really minor between hydroxy and cyano. 
Great. That's really helpful. So just to, I suppose, to um, summarize the, the B vitamin choices, um, the, you know, the 5-MTHF and so forth, they head-to-head, they're pretty comparable. And you mentioned earlier on that um, previously that it had been an expense and a stability issue, which I think um, is, at least in Australia, in the supplements, I think that's improving a lot. So I think the prices are pretty comparable. So as a, you know, a practitioner, if um, if you provide either one, that you 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 should have confidence in the in the supplement. Yes. Great. Okay. Um. Now, just before we wrap up, I wouldn't mind touching upon a couple other things. I said I wasn't going to go into the methionine cycle. We've got a, a few minutes left. I wouldn't mind just touching upon that. Uh, you've more recently been exploring choline as a methyl group, um, and that can some in some ways, I suppose, um, compensate for you know a, a lack of folate, for want of a better term. And there's some pretty good emerging data how choline's important, particularly in pregnancy. Would you better discuss choline briefly? Well, choline is um, is a new field um, uh, of of study in relation to lipids and to one carbon metabolism. So, choline has multiple functions, also as a precursor for acetylcholine, the neurotransmitter, and uh, it's only a few years ago where choline has been recognized as a nutrient and there have been recommendations for for this specific nutrient. Uh, choline is oxidized uh, in the mitochondria to betaine and betaine is a direct methyl donor or supporter of folate in this cycle. Um, but you can also use choline uh, for promoting phospholipids metabolism, uh, for building new cell membranes, uh, and, and all these processes are relevant to uh, pregnancy and pregnancy complications. Great. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about choline in the future. And just wanted to quickly um, touch upon methylation. It's a you know a, a very large topic and it's captured the interests of uh, practitioners here in Australia. Um, in terms of the cycle, we've got methionine converts to SAMI. SAMI is our um, universal methyl donor. And once it donates a methyl group, we have um, S-adenosyl homocysteine or, or SAR, and then SAR finally gets um, metabolized to homocysteine. Now, homocysteine has been for long, I suppose, long time the marker. Um, elevated homocysteine is linked to chronic disease and so forth. But uh, there's emerging evidence that uh, SAR, the, the precursor, um, is also linked and perhaps even stronger, stronger links to, um, you know, cardiovascular disease and so forth. Would you be able to just explain um, how what SAR does and how it inhibits uh, methylation? Well, I think that uh, SIH and SIM are the real um, players uh, in terms of diseases because uh, uh, SIH, uh, for example, it binds the methyl transferases and just uh, prevent the binding of the methyl donor SIM. So it's a competitive inhibitor. And both SIM and SIH have multiple um, 
mechanisms uh, of uh, regulating the folate cycle and the homocysteine transsulfuration. So the MTHFR, the um, beta-inhomocysteine methyl transferase and the cystathionine beta-synthetase um, are regulated by SRM or SRH. Um, and the homocysteine is only uh, an indicator. Probably, probably I, I don't know if, if the evidence is really convincing, um, but probably homocysteine is more or less an, an, a marker for risk. Um, the issue about SIH, SIM, that we measure them in blood until now, and there is little evidence that you can change them by some kind of supplementation. But as I said before, we don't know what's happening in tissues. So if the liver SIH, SIM are modified, and that's what you find in blood is more or less the final product after kidney filtration and so on. Um, we know from studies on patients with severe deficiency of vitamin B12 or folate that you can correct SIH, SIM, um, but uh, only in case of real deficiencies. And again, um, the issue is that you have to keep in mind that the SIH, SIM uh, are part of this metabolic flexibility story. So if you supplement too much folate, you are going to use less betaine. And um, more or less the final aim is to keep a balance between SIH and SIM. Great. So there isn't a, like a specific uh, SAH or SAR level that people want to aim for, or maybe it's the, it's the ratio between the SAMI or the it's, SAME? It's likely to be the ratio between them, yes. Okay. So, yeah, we currently can um, get that with um, pathology testing. So maybe just as a, a wrap-up, uh, what would be the, the key markers and tests that you'd maybe consider if a person wanted to explore their sort of quote-unquote methylation potential, including folates and B12s and so forth? I think that homocysteine will remain the best marker because, first of all, you can modify it so you can see if there is a response or not. And because it's easy to measure, so we have methods overall, we have uh, comparable, relatively comparable methods. For SIH, SRM, um, you need specialized methods and we don't have like... Um, a normal range established because of uh, the methods are not comparable. So in practice, the homocysteine will remain the marker of uh, the functionality of this cycle, I think, in the next few years. Okay, great. And um, you'd also recommend measuring folate and um, markers of B12. Yes. And um, do you have a, an ideal... Or whether it's you know theoretical or established, ideal level of homocysteine is um you know less than ten better or yes. what's your sort of view? I think view? The 10, 10 to twelve. Uh, uh, there are different opinions here, but uh, or more or less uh, around ten to twelve for adults. Great. Okay, well, we'll watch this space about um, the semi to uh, levels and ratio and so forth. 
Well, uh, I really appreciate your time and it's really helped, I suppose, um, clarify particularly some of those areas of confusion and almost fear um, about, you know, folic acid and maybe helped uh, put into context the 5-MTHF and the 5-MTHFR. So uh, once again, thank Arima, we're really appreciative of your time and um, I look forward to following you further in the research. Thank you very much, Nathan. Thank you for your time and for your efforts to make this topic more popular and easy to understand. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.